When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On today's show, Ben Elwood and I continue our Deep Dive Director series as we take a close look at David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. My name is Justin Hamilton, and we're not going to talk about Judy at all here on Big Squid. Welcome to the podcast and look, I know I'm coming from a specific position when I say this, but I think this is one of the most interesting chats I've had all season with Ben and I think this is because we are initially coming from a very similar angle, but uh, I don't want to give anything away, but I think there's... Even though we're coming from a similar angle, there is a different kind of timber to what we're thinking. There's a, a different kind of texture. And so we end up having this really interesting talk about this movie. And even though I totally agree with uh, Ben's initial assessment, I ended up uh, taking into account Twin Peaks The Return and my readings of David Lynch's work uh, that we've been experiencing in the lead-up to this movie. And so I come to a slightly different conclusion, and then I share that with Ben at the end. So, look, even if you're not a Twin Peaks fan, or maybe you just haven't seen this movie or TV show in a while... I think you'll enjoy this discussion. Heck, it might even inspire you to check them out again or watch the movie for the first time. Uh, I was talking to Beck Hunt. Hello, Beck. uh, Over the weekend, and uh, she told me that sometimes she listens to the podcast to work out if she wants to watch a movie. And there's a few of you who do that, actually, and you'll listen and you'll think, you know what, I will give that movie a go. And then there's some movies we talk about where you're like, nah, fuck that, I am out of here. But uh, (laughs) uh, 
all valid reactions to everything we talk about, whether it's TV, movies, etc. Uh, oh, I wish I oh, I should have looked this up before I started uh, recording. I'll see if I can find it really quickly. But someone in our private Facebook page uh, said that they just started watching Severance. And uh, man, good on you. Like how exciting. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, jealous that uh, oh, there was Alan Halstead who said that he went to the cinema for the first time in two and a half years and saw uh, everything everywhere all at once and had a great time. So good work, Alan. Um, I'm really, really uh, pleased that you uh, checked that out. But uh, anyway, I can't find who it is. But um, anyway. Uh, Whoever you are uh, that uh, is watching Severance, uh, I saw your message and uh, good on you. I hope you're I hope you're enjoying it as much as I did. But anyway, I've gone off on one of those many tangents that I like to do uh, uh, over the course of this podcast. But um, yes, yeah, so you might listen to what we're talking about tonight. You might not have seen this movie in a while. Look, it's confronting in many ways, but it is fascinating. It is ahead of the curve, and for a movie that was absolute flop that I also will uh, admit to something in the in the heart of our discussion. Uh, oh, I loved it. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this chat. Uh, before we launch into that discussion, uh, a quick reminder, I'm on my way to Adelaide, back to the hometown where they pronounce Lego correctly. On the 3rd of June, I'm performing at the Rhino Room. The show starts at 7pm. And then uh, I've organised with the uh, people who promote the room, G'day Craig Egan, and uh, and the and the team uh, behind the scenes. Uh, they're going to keep the, the front bar open afterwards. So if you'd like to come along to the show and say hi, please do so. And also, uh, my listeners can use the promo HAMO, H-A-M-O, HAMO, to get discounted tickets. So head over to adelaidecomedy.com and make sure you apply that sweet big squid treat. Save some money. Buy yourself a drink. Laugh at my shit. What a great night. And, you know, make sure you stick around and say hi. Uh, we've actually had a recent surge in Patreon subscribers, which has been fantastic. Thank you very much to all of our new uh, Patreon subscribers. It's uh, very sweet to have you uh, sign up, and it's uh, really appreciated. And all my subscribers have an episode dedicated to them, and today's shout-out goes to Philip Boothby. Uh Thanks, Philip, for uh, your patronage. I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast, especially my attempts to win Ben over to my views about this movie and the saga of Laura Palmer in general. Uh, it's a, You're getting a spirited podcast, Philip. So thank you very much. Uh, my friends and I appreciate the support and I hope you're enjoying the work we're doing here and also the work that's coming up. Uh, we have a new Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted that's coming up very soon. And I heard some preliminary um, uh, production by Sean Allen on that new story. It's called Squeak. It's on its way. Patreon supporters have already heard a work in progress of it. Uh, for those of you who already listened to that, uh, it's even better. 
like it sounds so uh how can i describe it it's grubby it's a grubby story oh it's i'll tell you what it's about it's about two awful clowns at the bottom of a rubbish tip slowly dealing with another dead clown <laughs> so you know what I want to do with uh, Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted is give you all sorts of different stories because I like all sorts of different stories so I want to explore that with my work and so uh, that's coming up soon as well Philip so uh, keep an ear and eye out for that and uh, yes all Patreon supporters have access to bonus podcasts sometimes it's uh, like this week we dropped a new Dispatches from the Fury Road podcast Uh, For those of you who go to my website, bigsquidpod.com, you will probably see that as a blog, but the Patreon supporters get uh, a much longer and, uh, you know, some might say richer version, some might say uh, a wafflier version. Is wafflier a word? It is now. So uh, you can get bonus podcasts, you can get scripts and more, etc. So if you'd like to be a part of the community, head over to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore big squid and you can find a tier that suits you i'll be back at the end of the podcast for updates on what is coming next but in the meantime let's join fbi agent desmond as he visits deerfield washington to investigate the murder of a young girl while he searches for the killer agent dale cooper must face his chilling dreams about the murderer striking again unbeknownst to the fbi the beautiful laura palmer attempts to make sense of her life as her fate casts a large shadow over the town she lives in it's time to take a journey into twin peaks fire walk with me There is no other person who could have known where it was. Did Bobby give you this? Or is there someone new? Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. You made me write it all down. Don't do that. She doesn't like that. How do you know what she likes? Just like my Laura. Before we launch into this, a, a couple of things. Mm. One is, you know, you and I aren't particularly mm. fans of warnings before movies no. or TV shows. But. It happened in a TV series recently where they warned that there was going to be a depiction of suicide. And so I just sat there and then it was like, oh, that person's going to 
attempt suicide. Oh, and like a spoiler, a spoiler alert. Well, they, well, they put it at the start as a warning in case it triggers right. you. And then I sat all the way through the episode, going, "Oh, well, it's going to be them." And then when it happened, yeah, like it was well done. But if I, if that warning hadn't been there, I would have been like, "Oh my god!" But yeah, instead, sure, I was sure. like, "Oh, we're building up to that." And oh yeah, right, right, that. right, so, right, right yeah. But that to me is a little bit different with this because uh, a podcast can be listened while you're driving. Mm-hmm, you might be on mm-hmm. public transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be out in public. Uh, we are going to be talking about Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I've already said this. Mm. I'm I've, in the future when I do the intro for this. There's going to be a warning there as well. Yeah. But just in case, once again, you're out and about, and you didn't quite clock that warning yeah here's the re-warning we are going to be talking about some pretty heavy themes and some pretty confronting things that happen in this film Mm -hmm. and i just need you to know as the listener we want you to be i also promise you i have uh something very positive to bring to it and oh good uh, because i'm looking forward to hearing that (laughs) no i have a complete reinterpretation of twin peaks Complete reinterpretation. Great. And it is, uh, you know... uh, So, anyway, so we're going to be talking about some grotty things. David Lynch is a director who I don't think there's any... I just don't trust anyone who says, this is what the movie means. Because Mm. he doesn't make those kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. The movies can mean lots of things. Yeah, 100%. And also, there's a reinterpretation of these movies as you grow as a person. Yes. Which we will get into uh, about this uh, pretty close with the first question once we start. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, just in case you're out and about or you're feeling a bit shit and you don't feel like anything too heavy, you know what? Go and listen to our episode where we talk about E.T. <laughs> you know? Go back and listen to the E.T. Yeah, episode. Even the Thing episode. Is the very Thing joyful. episode. <laughs> You know, like we're still there and we're still here when you need us. So, but, uh, but there are some uh, full-on things to interpret in this. Something else I wanted to bring up was I started working with a, a 26-year-old uh, girl at uh, The Chase who's yes, lovely. Yes, Crazy smart, like crazy smart. Mm. Really into cinema. And it was interesting. She can't get into David Lynch. And, yeah. uh, and I, uh, not to go into too much backstory, but with all the movies that she likes, and she likes some really great movies. Uh, it's interesting uh, because his movies are quite surreal mm. and there is a dream logic to them. Mm. I Nightmare could, logic. Well, yeah. I could completely <laughs> understand how she's probably... And I, we discussed this and this wasn't a patronising thing. I, I think she will come around to Lynch as she gets older and has yeah. more uh, life experience yep. uh, and also movie experience. Yep. Uh, and so... That is uh, a roundabout way of leading us into the first question, which is, when did you first see this film and what was your reaction at the time? Um, I don't think I saw this until just before the return. Right. So, what, 2016 or so. But this is the third time I've seen this movie and I don't think that the movie affected me at all until last night when I saw it. Right. It fucked me up man it yeah. really messed me up you watched it pretty late too yeah and you know i've, I've you know i've had some um stuff going on so a bit doughy and vulnerable yeah but i i think it was the first time i was able to watch it free of the I, it's funny saying this because how can you watch it free of the influence of twin peaks but watching it just as a film rather than 
a sequel to Twin Peaks or right. a bridge between t- Twin Peaks season two and three. Right. Uh, like I really went into it thinking, you know, does this actually just work as a film? Yeah. Like, you know, can you get into these characters without knowing, without without all the baggage and just take them as they're presented to you in this film without any prior knowledge? And I watched it through that lens this time. And I think the dream logic and the nightmare logic of it really affected me this time trying to just forget everything I knew about Laura Palmer or Bobby or anyone. Uh, And so the kind of, the implication of certain things affected me a lot more. Right. Like it really, I was, I, I basically spent two and a quarter hours last night feeling nauseous and and terrified. Yeah. Terrified. Like I, I verbally yelled out at many points in this movie. Knowing full well that a scare was about to come. Right. But, you know, there's there's that certain shot where Laura's walking up the stairs and the, the drone is going hell for leather and the fan's whipping. And right. You know that Bob's in the room. You know that he's there. Yeah. And yet, when he appeared, I verbally yelled out. It was fucking terrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. And then, of course, everything that is implied in this film is so... So disturbing and yes. so upsetting. Um, and weirdly, I think, much like we've talked about with Lynch's previous stuff, what's what's what this actually is about, or you know, one of the things that it's about is so heavy, yeah, and so twisted and evil and dark that the expressionistic depiction of it makes it makes you feel the way you should feel watching a movie about this right. topic, right? Rather than a more kind of realistic quote-unquote depiction of it yeah this kind of surrealistic uh nightmare uh, i i think is uh apropos for what it's about you can watch this movie as uh if if you don't know anything about twin peaks about Mm -hmm. uh, a poor girl that has been abused all her life and she has created this world as a place to cope yep and that's how you can even though the place that she has created is awful it's also she's created it to be Bigger than it is, mm-hmm. which somehow gives what she's going through some form of meaning. Yeah, and 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 also, you know, the whole kind of Leland, her father, and and this demonic presence of Bob. Yeah. Again, if you're watching it free of the of Twin Peaks and knowing that Bob is this demonic entity, yeah, it becomes this kind of um, representation of this darkness that's inside this man. Yeah. It's, it's. I think the series depicts it as that he is uh, infected with some kind of entity. Yeah. Some kind of external entity, yeah. whereas the film very much gives you the impression of like, oh no, this is something that is that is him, yeah. that is innate in him, that bubbles yeah. bubbles to the surface, and then the the regret, and you see that with a lot of abuse, yes, but whether it's you know physical abuse or sexual abuse or whatever, the perpetrator will often kind of you know express remorse after the fact, yeah, you know, or try and make it better or whatever, and yeah. then you know the whole cycle just repeats and repeats. Yeah, uh, this is actually a really this is a really hard movie to write a script for oh, because yeah. it's like there were so many times like remember I only wrote this I only had the opportunity to write this yesterday mm. and I contacted you pretty early saying okay I'm going to start this I've got a few other things on today and then at, what was it like ten thirty I said yeah. finished <laughs> I was like Jesus this has been but there were so many rabbit holes where you go down into mm. this uh, the Twin Peaks mythology yeah and this movie is actually. And we'll get to that a little bit more later. A little bit later is very important to the mythology, but uh, there were so many rabbit holes that I went down where I'd be like, "Jesus, like we actually don't need this." But all of this has been so fascinating. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so I saw this film at the cinema when it was first released and I hated it. Yeah. Like, I honestly hated it. Yeah. I was there to find out what happened to Dale Cooper. Yeah. That's what I wanted and I did not get that. In all honesty, and I'll make lots of dad jokes later, there was not enough David Bowie, even though he'd been... <laughs> but he was in all the promos. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you go and you get... what? What, why did you promote someone who's in it for fucking four minutes? Yeah, sure. And, but then also it was like, why is Chris Isaac only in this for 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah. And why is Carl McLaughlin in this for a nine and a half minutes? Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> and also, I just didn't understand why we were focusing on Laura Palmer because right. she was dead. Sure. How, so, you would have been quite young. So, when did this come out? It was 91. 90, 92, 91. 92. So, I was 19. Yeah, And right. I would... I would so that's a 19 year old guy's reaction to this film, I think. Yeah, and absolutely. Because I'd seen the Twin Peaks European version of the yeah. movie, loved it, watched the series. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like at the time, still enjoyed season two. Like mm. it, it did feel like it got a bit weird, like not good weird in the middle. Yeah. But I still like, uh, I still really enjoyed the first lot of episodes. Yeah. And I was into finding out who killed Laura Palmer. That's what I wanted to feel. Yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah. I wanted to know because that is what a young person wants. I of want course. some fucking answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got too many questions in my real life. I want some fucking answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the way it ended and then discovering it wasn't coming back, it was like, oh, well, I need to find out what has happened to Dale Cooper because I love Dale Cooper. Yeah. I ended up naming one of our dogs after Dale Cooper. Sure. And then fucking, like, they didn't even go near it. And I'm, like, yeah. sitting there going, what the fuck just happened? But isn't that profound, right, to realise that it was never Dale's story? It's... It's Laura's story. Well, you know, so when Twin Peaks The Return was about to air, I re-watched the movie and, you know, I, by that stage, I'm, mm. like, 20-plus years older. Mm. And this is what I mean about uh, this new co-worker, uh, it's not yes. being patronising. The reason I say this about the co-worker and Lynch is because it happened to me, yeah. which is I knew more about cinema, I knew more about life, yeah. and when I rewatched it, I did an incredible 180. Like, it was... 100%, yeah. Like, yeah. someone needed to come and put me in traction. I couldn't believe it. The only yeah. reason I watched it was because there was a hint that it was important to the new series. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sit through the movie again and... It was oh shit! This is it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I think it's I think it's like top three of his films. I think it's so. Yeah. And I only really appreciated that last night. Yeah, how brilliant it actually is. And it's a it's a really important movie in the Twin Peaks mythology. It's yeah. like there's the TV series, yeah. uh, the first two seasons. Yeah. Then there's this movie. Yeah. And then it's you know it's like you know how I talk about. Uh, Rachel Dawes' death in the trilogy sends The Dark Knight into a different direction. This movie then sends us into Twin Peaks The Return. I wonder if I I had not watched the movie, if I would have actually enjoyed Twin Peaks The Return. I don't think... Because I I think Twin Peaks The Return is more of a sequel to this movie than it is of the original series. Yes, It's It's... Because, again, the movie is the first... uh, The first kind of shot in the air of telling you you're not going to get what you want. You think yes. you know what you want. Yeah. We're not giving you what you want. Yeah. And I think your experience is very uh, common. From what I understand, this movie was not well received at all. Mm-mm. 
and then there's been a huge critical reappraisal. Yeah, we'll get into that in the squid bits. A, a yeah. decade and a half later. Yeah. People going, oh, wait a sec, this is like, something like, else. Like two decades later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is. It's really hard to watch it. You know, I mean, I wouldn't even... If anyone's listening to this and they haven't watched it in a while and they're thinking of doing like a whole Twin Peaks rewatch, I almost think that this... Something in this film is diminished if you watch it in quote-unquote order. Right. Like season one, two, then the movie, then season three. I feel like... There's more to be gained from this just watching it as a movie. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you know what you know about the characters, that's fine. But, yeah, I just... Um, free of some of that kind of in-the-moment baggage of remembering everything about the series because you've just watched it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a remarkable movie. You know, I, I disliked this movie when I first saw it so much mm. that I ummed and ahed about seeing Lost Highway. Right. Which ended up being one of my favourite Taylor yeah, Lynch yeah, films. Yeah, like yeah. crazy that I was yeah. like, ah. Yeah. All right. Do you remember if you, when you were when you were that young man, if you had like a visceral negative reaction to what it's depicting? Like, is that one of the reasons you hated it? Because it's like this this young co-worker that you talk about uh, not liking Lynch. And I think it's true that as you get older, maybe you're more open to different types of moods that a movie can put you in yeah and i think to really (laughs) to really get on board with this movie you have to kind of there's almost a perverse part of you that enjoys sitting there for two and a quarter hours feeling like shit yeah well i think she's probably only watched mulholland drive and just went oh that made me feel a bit gross i wasn't into that at all and i looked at her and said do not watch twin peaks by walk with me (laughs) or lost highway oh my god yeah or inland empire and i haven't even seen that one yet but what i hear is not is is terrifying things yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. By the way, I saw um, because I because social media suggests uh, things that you don't really want, yeah. and sometimes it, look to be honest. Sometimes, say Twitter will suggest something because you like David Lynch, and you'll go, "Oh, I didn't see that." Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Inland Empire's about to be released yes, on Criterion. That, that was yeah. great. But then I saw a thread of someone saying, "Oh, a review of Inland Empire." Oh, like. Doesn't he know how to film? And don't you, doesn't he realise that there's better quality film yeah. to use it? And yeah. and then someone's come in, nah, it's okay, he filmed this during COVID. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, that explains it. Anyway. You know that he made nine movies before this movie, right? Yeah, like, he knows really, how to make a fucking movie. Yeah, it was really funny. But anyway. Oh, goodness. Well, uh, let's get into the opening of the film, which starts with an axe smashing a TV. Yeah. Like... Talk about a statement, right? Well, and also the most obvious metaphor in any David Lynch film. It's like, you know, I say a lot of weird things that you have to interpret, but here is an axe smashing a TV. Yeah. Twin Peaks lived on TV. I'm about to smash you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you know what? I'll just be honest. I didn't get that the first time I watched the film. Just And to me, that reveals that... I wasn't smart enough for it. I just thought, oh, fuck, they smashed the TV, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also the first scene, it's, this, it's also just of Lynch as Gordon Cole looking to one side, yelling out basically to his cast, let's start the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, it really it really affected me seeing him so young and puffy and, yes. and then kind of... Like, I know 30 years is a long time, but it's not a long time. And it was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. you see clips of him on YouTube now, and he's an old man. He's an old man. Well, that keep that in mind, yeah. because that's going to come into play yeah. with my reinterpretation of oh, where sure. I feel Twin Peaks is uh, Great. Yeah. for me. 
Great. Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah, it's a hell of a statement, uh, <laughs> and it's it's almost like the anti HBO start, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at this statement. Oh my god. <laughs> I knew it was coming, and I still jump. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, it's the sound on, design. It's yeah. He, he, his yes. are the only jump scares that actually freak me the fuck out. Right, because it's similar to we were talking a couple of weeks ago about Alien uh, and that mounting dread. Yes, and I think Lynch does a similar thing in you know that that moment I talked about with Bob. Yeah, because it, it it is technically a jump scare. She peers yep. around the door, the music goes, and he's just there. Yeah. But it's the drone leading up to it. Yeah. So you're already... It's not like... da 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 Blah! Oh, whoa! Yeah. It's... You're already wanting to throw up from horror. And yeah. then the jump scare... You know, it's the it's the final release of, of the, the dread that's been building. It's, oh it's fucking God. brilliant. Yeah. There, there, there's... Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it later on, uh, and we'll get to it, but the... Uh, one of the most inspired scenes I've seen in a film is in this, which is when they're at a club and they need subtitles. Oh, it's brilliant. But you can kind of hear what they're saying, yeah. but it, it's like, it makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. And like, and, and kind of off your head as well. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the kind of weird non sequiturs that they're saying. Yeah. And like, you know. And I, I think another th- reason this movie probably didn't resonate with me was because it was like, Twin Peaks was scary, but as you have it kept using the word horror, like this is a horror movie. It's a fucking horror movie. Yeah. Whew. Um, early on, we meet Chester Desmond, as played by Chris Isaac, who is in the middle of arresting two street workers and a school bus driver while the school kids freak out. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to meet a character while this is going on and you're like, immediately your first thought is, what just went down? Yeah. <laughs> are they turning tricks on the bus? <laughs> like, and all the kids are screaming. It's like, are they screaming because there's something aggressive happening? Yeah. Have they made friends with these street workers? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe maybe some of these kids were going to... Like, they've, they've paid up, yeah. you know? Like, I don't know. It, it, I want a refund. It's, it's also, once again, even though it's really funny, and, you know, it's got... Chester having to pull the mic, uh, the phone away from his ear while Gordon yells On lower at him. the antenna as though that's <laughs> going to lower the volume. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's a funny scene. Um, it's also a reminder that it's not just Twin Peaks that it's messed up. This whole mm. world yeah. is messed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, uh, Chet is introduced to Sam Stanley, uh, who's played by Kiefer Sutherland. Underrated Kiefer Sutherland performance right. as All well. All those weird little ticks. Well, especially because... Well, I, once again, he's in the movie for uh, like a minute and a half. Yeah. But... I, Sam Stanley, I, I fully buy into that character. Mm. And when you think about Kiefer Sutherland, who is like one of the most masculine actors around, yeah, and he yeah, is yeah. a dweeb. Yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. really good at it. It reminds me of the performance that he puts in in um, Dark City. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does too. Yeah, yeah. Good, good one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that movie in a while. Yeah, he, yeah it is like that, isn't it? I, you know, I, I would have been right into, like if, if Twin Peaks had progressed, I would have, mm really been into the spin-off series or Chester and Sam you yeah. know as other FBI agents that come in like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would have been totally into yeah, a 100%. spin-off Chris Isaac's fucking great just uh, you know what a he's, fucking hunk he and he is also slightly not good enough as an actor to be perfect for a David Lynch role yeah. <laughs> does that make sense yeah yeah <laughs> totally um, you know all his line delivery is mildly yep 
incorrect yep. and it's great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, so they receive clues from Lil the Dancer who communicates in code that this is a Blue Rose case. Mm. And this is actually the first mention of the Blue yes. Rose cases in the Twin Peaks mythology. Yeah. And, you know, everyone talks about the X-Files you know, mm. but this this feels like yep. the scene, doesn't it? Where 100%. it's like, oh, uh, I don't know what it is, uh, but I have been fascinated ever since I was a kid with the amalgamation of rigid law enforcement having to deal with the unknown. Mm. Mm. It's the contrast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading a book uh, written by an Australian journalist. I can't think of the title at the moment, uh, but it's all about all the different... Uh, UFO sightings throughout the decades and mm. uh, stuff that happened in in bright day in Melbourne mm-hmm. and all this stuff that's mm. been covered up and mm. around uh, 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 American bases. Yeah, uh, and it's like, it's... It just kind of, isn't it incredible that we all wanted the answers for so many decades and now we're in just like this information flood zone that they finally said, yeah, they're real. And it, it hasn't even... And no one blinked. No one gives a shit. No one even talks about it. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I've t- I've, I've, we've talked about UFOs, right? I've uh, told you I've seen a UFO. I don't think you have said those oh, magical okay. words Yeah, to yeah, me. yeah. Yeah, me and me, Nick Sun and Jen Wong uh, all saw a UFO uh, and, and, and tracked it in the sky for about 45 minutes. About in 2006. Right. So, yeah, we, we went for a drive, sat on Newport Beach, and we were all just sitting on in a row looking at the stars and then all of a sudden this one star was moving and we're like oh it's an airplane and then it started making crazy movements like right. vh1 music ball like bouncing bouncing right. through the sky making Maybe like was- weird triangular patterns oh right uh zooming forward then zooming backwards it was it was simultaneously the most kind of t-boning moment of like what the fuck and then extra surreal because after about five minutes, it becomes so normal. And you're just there going, oh, okay, now it's moving up and to the left. And now it's, right. you know, making triangles. And right. it was crazy. Nick started freaking, like really started freaking out. Really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that about the point where Nick's undecided, uh, I'm never going to say a sentence that makes sense on stage again? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I started yelling out, take us up, take us up. And he's yeah. like, shut the fuck up, man. Oh, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, and our friend um, Jen was there and she's like, "If look, it was just me and Nick. I'd be like, whatever, we're tripping out or something. And we, yeah. we, we had a shared hallucination. But the fact that she was there, total right. straight edge, yeah. totally sober, was yeah. just like, no, that's, this is happening. Wow. Um, and then it was just kind of like after 45 minutes, you're just kind of like, well, what do we, what do, we do? I guess right. we just get in our car and go home. And just kind of put that in the what the fuck was that file. Wow. Very strange. It moved like drones do now. But there weren't drones But there weren't drones in 2006. I mean, the the best I can come up with is it was some kind of like military, you know, militaries are usually 10, 20 years ahead of 10. It was like some kind of military drone that was out on some kind of flight. I I don't think it was a fucking alien going, (laughs) buzzing around for 40. But it wasn't a plane and it wasn't a star. Right. And it wasn't anything that I am aware that existed in 2006. Right. It was very surreal. Wow. Yeah, that's it was, great. It was fucking great. <laughs> I'll have to see if that pops up in the book. I'll keep an eye out for 2006. Maybe it was God playing on his screen, playing one of those fruit games, uh, Fruit Ninja, and then he realized he'd put his screen on scene. Oh, oh shit. Uh, turn, it, turn it off. Um, man, if I'd been there, you know, you know my 
ultimate dream is to be taken up by aliens and oh, given yeah. superpowers so I can come back and save everyone. <laughs> I was I'm good to go. If there's any aliens listening to this, like even if even if the surgery is painful, you as, want, as, long as, the probe. as long as I uh, <laughs> as long as I have powers at the end that I can do some good, I'm I'm ready. Uh, Deer Meadow is very different to Twin Peaks, with law enforcement nowhere near as helpful. Haps Diner is also not like the Double R Diner in Twin Peaks. And uh, when I was doing research about this, because I was kind of, you know, this is where we start to get really into the doubles of mm. of storytelling in Twin mm, Peaks. Mm, like this mm. is where it really starts to cement itself. Mm. And I was thinking about Deer Meadow being like the the awful. Uh, reflection of Twin Peaks, yeah. yeah. And then uh, while I was doing some research, I, I in some one article I read online, and I can't remember which one it was, but someone said this is like the equivalent of starting the Simpsons movie with thirty minutes of being bummed out in Shelbyville. <laughs> totally, it's totally, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, those gross police people, yeah. What does he say? Uh, we, we got a we got a ring, we got a ring. Someone, oh yeah, I'll give it a ring. Ring that bell. Oh <laughs> my god! Like they're 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 the opposite of the sweet Andy yeah. and, uh, and sheriff, it, and even the the warm, beautiful double R diner sign. You know, yeah. is replaced with this half burnt out crying clown. clown. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not Peggy Lipton. It's this lady yeah. with cigarette stained teeth. Yeah, what the fuck? We don't have we don't oh, have any mate. specials. So all of that is really funny. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, it is a parallel universe for Twin Peaks. And then, and then we can, we can contrast the dead body of Teresa Banks with the peaceful looking corpse of Laura Palmer. Mm. And that is when it takes a crazy turn Mm. for me because I find looking at the dead body of Teresa Banks, one of the most confronting scenes in any movie Mm. and also in any David Lynch production from the way she appears to still be Mm mid-screen and the way the nail is peeled back to reveal the letter T and and somehow that she's missing a ring is also like, that is the most normal part of this moment and even that creeps me out. Yeah, well, it's it's rare in film that you see a corpse that, uh, is in uh, is it, it ha- has an expression of horror on their face? Yeah, and, and you know, and all that that implies, you know, yeah. that their last the, the last minutes and seconds were, you know, not that any kind of violent death is serene, obviously, but you know, uh, just the effect that it has on you as the viewer, seeing you know the way corpses are usually depicted in like a CSI type show or whatever where they've yeah. got the kind of closed eyes and the and the and the, the closed mouth you know, yeah a, as you say mid scream it's you know oh so much it's awful so the 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 scene that I was uh, when I was watching that that I was thinking of in in something else mm. which is another one of the descendants of Twin Peaks was the first season of true detective mm. which you know I love mm. and there's the bit with Russ Cole where he's looking doing all this research and he talks about when you when you look in a dead person's eyes mm. at, at the very last minute they welcome it because they know they can shuffle off and mm. you know they mm. can be beyond everything mm-hmm. and I was looking at that thinking well Russ obviously did not see Teresa totally. Banks yep absolutely oh yeah 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 but it's also once again there's all these reminders early on this is not going to be what you expect Mm-mm-mm-mm. there's something very fascinating about that I don't I don't know if there's any right or wrong, but uh, not giving people what they want 
to me is far more interesting and brave than doing exactly what everyone yeah, wants. But I think I'm, I think you and I are definitively in the minority with that. I just think it's something you have to come to. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I, I look, I don't think that your first reaction is wrong. Like, if you really are expecting a thing and then the thing is not the thing. Yeah. You know, and there is a fine line between, you know, subverting expectation and just... And then rubbing your face and, yeah, and being, being a, a fucking massive troll. fucking uh, lynchian shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's 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 I just think if the only criticism that you have of a piece of work is that it was not what you were expecting, yeah. then you owe it to yourself and to the piece of work to revisit it and judge it uh again now that you do know what it is. Yeah. I just think it's a I just think it's a flawed critique to hate something because it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Well, guess what? You're not the fucking artist. So. Well, th- yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there's a possibility that I could have rewatched it many years later and still and, not enjoyed it. Yeah, sure. You know? But you would and, have known what was coming. But I knew what was coming. And but, you knew that it wasn't going to be the continued adventures of Dale Cooper. Yeah. I feel that way about albums. You know, like yeah. sometimes when I listen to an album by an artist I really like, maybe, maybe the first listen I'll be a bit like, oh, okay. Mm. And then it will take subsequent re-listens and, yeah. Like, I know that a lot of people, I mean, I I don't have a horse in the race, so you know my feelings on Star Wars, but they don't, they hated that Ryan Johnson Star Wars because it subverted expectations. And, again, I get people the first time going, but then a lot of people would watch it the second, third, fourth time and go, no, I still fucking hate it. Right. And that's then it becomes a valid criticism to me. It's like, well, you know, now you know that it's kind of, you know saying fuck you to all the questions you had from the first one. Well, it's it's funny because, uh, uh, let's not devolve too much into a Star Wars chat, but what's fascinating about that film is that, like with David Lynch, it's like, well, of course he's going to give me what mm, he's going to give mm, me. Mm. But with Star Wars, it's like, why now? Yeah, don't. Why are yeah. you experimenting now? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really give a shit yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. But there is a part of me that thinks... Why didn't you just continue this third trilogy tr- with a traditional set of movies and then what. give Ryan Johnson spin-off. A spin-off. That's, you know, and then and then and then but then you can subvert all of those yeah. things like, you know. <laughs> that trilogy that proves that institution, you know, all these people that are like oh QAnon and uh, the, the, the Bilderberg groups running the world. That trilogy proves that no one's in control of anything. If a billion dollar company couldn't even get their billion dollar franchise right, if they literally were just like, I don't know, we'll just make it up as we go along, that proves no one's in control of fucking anything. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. That each film is a response to the film that came before it and yeah. trying to contradict... Because, you know, and, and, and the, you know, I enjoyed that first one, The, the Force Awakens. Uh, but, you know, you realise in the, in, the, in the scheme of things, it is just a fuck you to the prequel trilogy. Yeah. And then the next one is a fuck you to the first one and then the third one's a fuck you to the second one. And it's just like, what? This is the most incoherent garbage ever. This is yeah. awful. Yeah. Awful. That's... Um, funnily enough... Uh, Purely by chance, a couple of weeks ago, I just watched a little bit more of Rogue, uh, like watched the start of Rogue One, and that to me was like, oh, this is quite nice. It just like yeah, I don't need another story about yeah, yeah, yeah. the Death Star, but yeah. it's a good story about the Death Star, yeah. and it's got lots of interesting characters, and it looks magnificent. And yeah. that opening with Ben Mendelsohn yeah. is fantastic. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. Hey, a uh, quick aside before we get back into this, mm. you know when Shet and Stanley visit Carl Rod, who is. Hen- uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Stanton. 
You know, after they drink the coffee, do you think that Chris Isaac didn't hear Sutherland's line because he repeats it? Oh, does he? Yeah, because he saw. <laughs> I forget what he says, but he's he says a question and there's silence, and then Sutherland because Chris Isaac's still looking at the you know <laughs> cup of American uh, Good Morning America, and then Sutherland sort of says the line again, and Chris Isaac says his line, and Sutherland is. Smiling like and Chris Isaac is kind of giggling, <laughs> and I reckon it's. I reckon I'll rewatch it when I get home. Yeah, I reckon it is David Lynch with the you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Can you leave us, please? Oh, Jim. Yeah. Oh no, can you leave us, please? I reckon it's yeah, that. Yeah, keep it. Yeah, but it's great. It really. It's and it's kind of like for a pretty fucking relentless movie. Thanks for keeping that in. <laughs> It's a shame that uh, Shet isn't around longer. He intuitively knows something is wrong and stays in town. He is intrigued by the noise from a a telephone pole that leads him to inspect an empty trailer. This might be the first kind of sense of electricity. Electricity. Um, He finds the infamous ring and suddenly vanishes. And why, why can a simple ring just be so creepy? Like I, oh, Lord of the Rings, man, come on. It, but yeah, but like, yeah. no, no, no. But that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, how can a, a, a simple object just be so skin crawling? I think it's. I think it's like. I think that's deep within our makeup as human beings is to imbue objects with magical power. And, yes, you know, or character, or character. I mean, yeah. that goes all that that that's you know more ancient than most of the theistic religions that exist now. Right, is this idea of um, you well, know objects having superstitious forces behind them? Well, that that gets back to the Neanderthal uh, caveman brain of uh, yeah. how to recognize something that you should be worried about. Totally, and that's why we see. Faces and trees totally. and things like that. I mean, you know, obviously a ring, you know, Lord of the Rings is the easy one to go through. Uh, but it is incredible in that movie how fucking terrifying that ring is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like they'll just have the camera just closing in on it with that yeah. gross mortar. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. If I looked at that ring on someone's hand, I'd say, nice ring. I see that ring on a little mound of dirt underneath a dirty trailer. Mm-hmm. And I go, do not touch that. Yeah. You are going to disappear forever. Totally. It's a, it's fascinating how the ring transports you. And it's important for later on in the story. But now we get to the next scene, uh, which is at the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia, where Dale Cooper realises something isn't quite right and the long-lost agent, Philip Jeffries, reappears after being missing for two years. Mm. You know, especially on this rewatch and, and knowing Twin Peaks The Return, it's hard to disassociate the two. This is one of the most important scenes in the movie and you could surmise this, to me, is the exact halfway oh, yeah. point of the mythology. Let's start with... Uh, for a mo- uh, Let's start with... For a movie about Twin Peaks, and once again getting back to not enjoying it the first time, what an uninspiring way to finally bring Dale Cooper into the picture. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just there. When he, and he's not the Dale Cooper that we remember. No, because he's younger and he's... When he, and he's, he doesn't have that playfulness or that... No. He, there's something very serious about him. Yeah. And very humorless. Yeah. There's nothing pl- like not playful at all. Yeah. Like, he's freaked out. Yeah. And you haven't seen him freaked out prior to, you know, the end of season two, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's always yeah. kind of in control or, you know, when, especially in, you know, we saw it in the, in the movie, he's quite excited yeah, about exactly. things that are happening. He's, he's, he's a little bit like, uh, I know you've never watched uh, Doctor Who, mm. but um, Tom Baker used to say he's an alien who'll have 
different reactions to things. Where so when everyone's freaking out, he'd look at people, and go, "Ooh, it's scary, isn't it?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smiling, he's being excited, or everyone's having a good time, and oh yeah, no, nah, yeah, I'm having a great time. So he always played yeah. the emotions incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, it is uh, confronting, and uh, you know the the random security camera hmm. thing is once again weird like but not like just moves you to the left a little bit and this also feels like it um is a precursor for not getting dale for most of twin peaks the return it's like this is kind of letting us uh know lynch has no interest or little interest in the hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST idea of nostalgia for his own storytelling thank god it's so it's so refreshing man it's so refreshing i can't you know it's i I honestly can't think of any franchise or tv show or whatever that returns after a long time away or even you know uh, after an ending of of a kind i know that season two isn't a definitive ending but you know it it, it became the ending yeah um i i really don't know much that returns that had you know yeah well, I think people, once again, I don't think people, uh, the, the visceral reaction to this film is people don't want that. When when things are uh, a trilogy or a storyline, they want different variations on the same thing. Yeah, yeah, which is just like, it, that's not, maybe maybe it's just, it's a comforting thought because, you know, that yeah. life is not like that. You can't yeah. go back. Uh which is, I think, interesting why season three... I mean, across the board, season three was really beloved. People love that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe people's perspective on that is changing. I think... But like, you know... Like, I, I, my mum loves Sex in the City. She's yeah. always loved Sex in the City, and she watched the new ones. And I was like, how was it? And she's like, eh, you know, it was fine. Like, yeah. I was like, well, it wasn't great to see those characters again. And she's like, yeah, it was, it was fine. And, like, you know, she's not the kind of person that really thinks deeply about this, you know, TV right. shows and stuff. But you could see that she couldn't even put her finger on it. It was just like, yeah, yeah it's like, it's not, that's over. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of weird 10, 15 years after the fact, like, hey, we're back sexing in the city. It's like, really? Like nothing? Like it's this, like you haven't evolved or changed or well, I, different people, really? Well, I think, it. Uh, for, look, I have not quite enough knowledge about this except for Adam Richard uh, yeah. gleefully telling me how much he couldn't stop watching it even yeah. though he wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. I think it... I think it did change, but not necessarily in a more interesting way. But, you know, that's, yeah, everything changed, every, yeah. everyone forgets that series, that original series yeah. was so fantastic yeah. and then and groundbreaking. And then it kind of felt like 
often when things get turned into movies, like this is the opposite. This was like often they forget they do they do the the least interesting interesting things more often and bigger in the Extended movie episode, except for. <laughs> Lynch who went, you know, all the things that were a bit creepy. Well, I'm going to double yeah, down yeah, yeah, this yeah. and really freak yeah, you yeah, out. Yeah. We're going to take out any... Because, you know, like, I, 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 I'm sure you know on the Blu-ray, there's basically a movie-length yes, uh, yeah. deleted scenes. Which is also... Which is all the beloved characters, but they're, like, yeah. excised out. Oh, you, you want a scene with Andy and Lucy? Nah, yeah. you're not getting that. And, and it's true. It would not be appropriate. Yeah. There's... Uh, I think there's always been some, uh, like, hope or hints that, you know, he could edit that all into a four-hour film, but no. all the rights are taken up with... Um, I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to watch it. I, I mean, I love watching The Missing Pieces as a separate film, as yeah. almost like an, a, an appendix. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the way to watch it. Yeah, that I is reckon. the way to watch it. But you, it, it, I'm sorry, having scenes of fucking Leland Palmer turning into Bob while he molests his daughter, and then the next scene is Andy and Lucy joking about a trumpet or whatever, I'm, it's not fucking totally no, appropriate. No, 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 no. Uh, but it is good as an appendix. I, by the yeah. way, I have not gone into that because I would still be working on the script. Oh, no, I, no, I had no, to no. make a real decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To but you have watched it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it I is was, like an extra movie. It is. like, it, And because he uses dreamlike logic, yeah. it, because it, it kind of still follows that yeah. with weird edits yeah, and totally. things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get a lot more of uh, Bowie as well, which takes me to Philip Jeffries is in the movie for four minutes, but his scene feels like not just a key to unlocking aspects of the film, but also setting up Twin Peaks The Return. First of all, let's look at the scene where he points to Cooper, a character he has never met before, and focus on his line who do you think that is mm. there and uh, it's interesting uh i wonder i wonder how much lynch had in mind leading up to twin peaks the return mm. and i wonder how much he had uh like had a broad feeling of where he wanted to take it and then went back to this film and looked at bits and then got inspired by things that were said yeah who knows like it's fascinating yeah, like yeah, i'm yeah. fascinated by that as a uh as a writing concept. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like the Vince Gilligan thing of, you know, oh, you must have had this planned all from the start. It's like, nope. no, no, <laughs> no. At, at the start of one season, we gave him a machine gun and we spent the whole season panicking, thinking, fuck, how are we going to pay this off? Yeah. You know. It's great. Uh, this, this also, so this tells us that Philip is wherever he's been uh. and this speaks to the Black Lodge, it mm. is not tethered to a linear timeline and that it's actually removed from yep. time. Yep. So when he comes back, he's looking at Dale, but he's seeing Dale from the future yes. who is possessed by Bob. Yes. Which makes, when you know all of that, makes that scene. Yeah, But yeah, you know, yeah, th- yeah. that scene, once again, first time I saw it was, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. never went there. Or it could be not even the Dale Cooper that's possessed by Bob. It could be the Dale Cooper at the end of season three that's, you know, much more kind of cold and detached, which would be in line with uh, how strangely kind of uh, non-present this Dale is. Right, right. Like, it, you know, it could, it, there's like, <laughs> there could be layers of weird reality going on. Yeah. Shifting, shifting reality. Yeah, you never, uh, yeah, with, it's funny so much time travel in entertainment kind of sticks to strict rules mm. where it sh- would probably be like this. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, Once again, I have a different, very different interpretation now. Right. Of this, uh, so um, 
this will all uh, affect it. Uh, he then mentions that Judy is not to be talked about before speaking about yeah. a reunion in the room above the convenience store yeah. that includes the little man, Bob, Mrs. Chalfont, her grandson, the jumping man, oh. two woodsmen, and the electrician. That fucking jumping man is one of the most disgusting things on earth. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. I get that was another moment where I audibly was like, oh, oh I know. He, and the camera going down his disgusting wet maw. Oh, <laughs> what a. Yeah, I'm. Like you, I'm creeped out more by the mundane in places that shouldn't make sense mm. than I am by, you know. A ghost gushing blood oh, or a yeah, demon yeah, yeah, with yeah. knives for eyes. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like absolutely. them all just sitting around and laughing in a place that looks like it's full of hepatitis mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. fucking terrifying. Eating creamed corn. Eating creamed corn. <laughs> what a what a perfect yeah. scary food to Garmin introduce. Bozier. Oh my god. God. Uh, do you have a theory on what is happening with these spirits in the convenience store? Because, you know, once again, I don't think there is any right or wrong, but do you have a theory? Oh, no, no. I just think I just think it's the place. I think it's, you know, it's almost like that part inside every person's skull where all their fucking demons reside. Right. You know, waiting to, waiting to unleash. Right. It's, you know, it's, I think that place is disturbing because it's, uh, it's a it's a disturbingly familiar place. Yeah, you know all of those. You know, because I I really I I do believe that we are all a, a caucus. You know, there's no one self. There's many many entities living in us. I don't believe that they're external entities. I just you know there's you know. It, it, it sounds like I'm talking about some kind of schizophrenia. That's not what I mean at no. all. But you know, it's the the the, the many voices in your head. Uh, well, it's it, it's almost as, but it's like the mundane side of yeah. how many times have you met someone and they've said, "Oh, wait till you meet my husband. He's one of the funniest people you've ever met. You'll really love him." And then you meet him, and he is one of the most tedious <laughs> asshats you've ever met. But at some point, when he's hanging out with his wife, yeah, he's really funny. It exactly. makes her laugh. Exactly. Yeah, and it just like it feels like all of those, uh, you know, it's almost like Lynch has put uh, a physical presence into all of these different versions of kind of grotty demonic forces that exist in your own head. Yeah, which is, so is the jumping man the one that freaks you out the most? Yeah, because it's that whole uncanny valley mm. movement, and you know, then it's replicated later on with the boy when yeah. he, uh, which again is another one at the moment that made me yell out when Leland leaves the yeah uh, car the motel after he realizes that he's booked a fuck session with his own daughter, Jesus, uh, and runs away, and then the uh, little boy suddenly just jumps out of the bushes. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, and again, you can't even you know you describe it. It's like oh yeah, like in any other in any other director's hands that. Would would be like a hack, yeah. you know, kind of like, oh, and then a creepy boy with a weird paper mache mask jumps out of the bushes and yeah. hops around like a bunny rabbit and disappears. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, okay, that sounds so lame. And yeah. in the hands of this guy, it is like, get fucked, man. Please, yeah. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was, uh, you know, as we keep... Uh, talking about part of the fun of a Lynch movie and the, is the further he goes in his career, he leans into ambiguity more mm. and that allows you to kind of interpret or reinterpret. This mm. time when I was watching it, this to me feels like the primordial spirits who have existed well before humans were mm. any any 
something like we are now. Mm. And with uh, Twin Peaks, the return in mind, uh, specifically episode eight, when yes. the atomic bomb was detonated in Los Alamos in 1945, these spirits found a crack in the skin of the universe and were able to return. And all of these spirits have their own agendas that we don't understand. Yeah. And... Uh, only through our narrow focus of what it means to be human do these spirits correspond with any sense of right or wrong or good yes, or evil. Yes. But they are, they're kind of beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And now we finally return to Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a prologue. Yep. That uh, I love this time compared to the first time. Once again, the first time I was like, when are we getting to Twin <laughs> yeah. Peaks? Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you feel about returning to the final days of Laura Palmer? Uh, you know, it can't not be imbued imbued with uh, a real sense of dread. Yeah. And I think, again, it's hard to say because, you know, I know what's going to happen. But, you know, going into it this time, I felt this immense kind of weight on me because it was... I don't even think we returned to Twin Peaks with the familiar music. I think we're suddenly... Do, oh, do, no, it's do the, we? Yeah, yeah. It is? Yeah, okay, yeah. right. Uh, but I think that everything that's come before it lets us know that it's not going to be the you know, fun, familiar Twin Peaks that we're used to. It's yeah. going to be, uh, and nor should it be, because now, you know, once you realise that you're going to see the final days of Laura Palmer, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not fun, but it's an extraordinary performance by Cheryl Lee, it's and incredible. in hindsight, completely ahead of the curve, because with so many movies, TV shows and novels, etc., relying on the dead woman trope to move a story forward... Mm. In 1993, going back and fleshing out this character of mm. Laura as an actual person mm. and removing her from the MacGuffin-esque role that she occupied mm-hmm. is a stroke of genius. Yep. And I'm not the first person to notice that. I think uh, we'll get into it later, but your favourite uh, reviewer was the first person who suggested this, which helped shift the Commode? Perception. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, beyond anything, it, like it's just, it, it is a... It's a fucking hell of a performance. It's one of those performances where you're like, how did you get through this shoot? Yeah. The amount of hardcore emotion and the places that you're going. Yeah. Even that, the one that really affected me was after she runs out of the house and she's hiding in the bushes and she sees her dad leaving. And there's this guttural kind of husk that's coming out of her as she's sobbing and it's... I mean, I couldn't even look at it as acting. It's yeah. like, where are you, what place have you gone to? Because that's, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really real, raw yeah. emotion. And I've seen interviews with her where she talked about how exhausting the shoot was. And it was only because she trusted David so much that she, um, you know, went there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, she has a, you know, watching interviews for this, mm. she has such affection for him. Oh, yeah. and And there's a trust. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's really interesting that you what you were just talking about with people having different uh, aspects to their personality. Mm. And what's great about this movie is we we see all the different aspects of Laura. There's mm. the sweet high school girl. There's the drug taking, dangerous Laura. There's scared Laura. She's cruel and caring. Yep. She's funny and serious. She's in control. She's out of control. She's innocent and she's seductive. Yep. And it often feels like there's moments where she's attempting to destroy. Laura, before Bob can finish the job. Yeah. Uh, was there a particular moment with Laura that stood out for you? Um, I, think it's, I think it's what you say. I think it's these shifting personality tropes. And maybe that, you know, I think, again, when I was younger, I might have looked at that and thought that it was uh, inconsistent mm. or 
contradictory. Yeah. Whereas you get a bit older and you're like, oh no, it's no, no, that's people. <laughs> that's people. <laughs> you know, uh, weirdly, the my favourite scene is uh, when Donna accompanies her on the night out and she tries to act like Laura, and that's the way she snap. Laura snaps out of her self destruction mm. to save her friend, but she can't articulate it either. All she can say is you. St- don't wear my things, you know, but yeah. it's... that's. But also there's that, 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 that malicious, you know, teenage part of her that kind of gets Donna into it. Drink up, Donna. Yeah, yeah. You know, she, she kind of gets her into that situation. Yeah, and let's then, rock. Yeah, let's you rock. Know? Yeah. And you then know? something kicks in, you know, again, just these kind of conflicting... Uh, conflicting personality traits that uh, when you're kind of less experienced in life you might think are uh, contradictory. Yeah. And they are contradictory, but that's yeah. the point, you know. That's why That's why people are people, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, because this movie is not tethered to linear storytelling, let's just get straight into Laura's relationship with Leland. Mm. Of course, you can view this as being possessed by some type of evil spirit, but you can also view this as an unfortunately realistic relationship yeah. with the respectable businessman who is a monster his, to his family as well. With that in mind, it suddenly shines a new light on Sarah Palmer, Laura's oh, mum. Oh, man. It's a completely different performance it's, when you look at it that way. It is horrific, that kind of... Silent complicity. Yeah. Uh, and there's a few looks that she gives, especially in that horrific scene of um, Laura's hands are dirty. Yes, yes. Which is, I mean, obviously the, the more graphic scenes are much more disturbed, but the, the, everything that that implies is so, so disgusting. Yeah. That scene is so disgusting and the power and the control yeah. and the fact that the mother's just sitting there you know, her eyes darting around, looking yeah. at the whole thing unfold. Yeah. Knowing, uh, fully understanding what is happening here. Yeah. But through her own trauma and her own being ground down, being unable or unwilling to, to intervene. Yeah. It's horrific. And uh, so getting a different take on Sarah is really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, once again, we've talked about how if you kind of, if you took away the prologue, you could just view this as a young girl trying to create a world that makes sense of the awfulness that's happening mm. to her, which also, if we get into uh, another theory on Leland, uh, we've learnt over uh, through the third season that Leland was possessed by Bob when he met a strange neighbour who was the demonic entity. Mm. And this is also a metaphor for some people who commit these types of heinous crimes on their children are often the victims mm. of those crimes yeah. themselves. Yeah. So here's my question for you. Is it possessed Leland uh, who is having sex with Teresa Banks or is it uh, normal Leland? And does and in that regard, is it is it possessed Leland seeing Laura thinking, I'm going to get caught out, I have to get out of here? Or is it normal Leland who's mm. having sex with Teresa Palmer who sees it and then goes, oh, no, this is too much? I honestly I honestly think they're one and the same. I, right. think, I think that the, you know, much like Laura saying let's rock drink up to donna and then suddenly kind of coming down from the high of that malicious headspace and yeah going, wait what have i done fuck that's i think it's very much that with leland i think that he's overtaken with these just horrific dark moods or yeah. whatever whatever fuck, whatever you want to call them yeah uh you know i think he is not possessed by a demon. I think he is possessed by the very dark forces in his own brain yeah. that take over and, and cloud any kind of morality or any kind of restraint or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think just in that moment 
where he sees Laura in the hotel room, it's maybe maybe his better angels come to the surface, or maybe he's like, you know, this is not the context in which I do this with her. Yeah. The context in which I do this with her is one where there are no witnesses, yeah. where there is more power and control on my end. Yeah. Uh, and so he runs away. I, I, I mean, it's like, it, it's such, I think it's one of the darkest, I mean, you t- it's a very, it's an incredibly brave performance on Ray Weiss's part. Yeah. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. yeah. But it is one of the darkest, most disturbing performances I've ever seen in any film or anything. Oh. I mean, it's up there with something in Snowtown or something. It yeah. is so fucking dark. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just can't even, I can't even imagine what the energy on set would have been like. Yeah. It's so, it's so fucked up, man. Oh, man. You know. <laughs> and then you have things like Mrs. Chalfont and her grandson handing over the painting and telling Laura that oh. the man behind the mask is in Laura's room, thus informing her that Leland is mm. Bob. Mm. Uh, which, that scene is terrifying in its banality. Would you have hung that painting up in no, your bedroom? I would have fucking no. burned it on a fucking pyre. I, I would have killed both of them with the painting and then run screaming into wherever I could run. Um, and then we have Laura dreaming about Dale in the Black Lodge and, her, and he tells her not to take the ring. Mm. And then when she wakes to find Annie Blackburn next to her in the yeah. bed. See, that was another storyline I wanted finished yeah, right. as well because I, I loved Annie. Yeah. Uh, but it's so interesting watching it free of the context of Twin Peaks, right? That yeah. moment. Yeah, you're just like, oh, it's just a surreal moment. Like, who's that? This is uh, this is a story about women always being murdered and the agents who tried to save them mm. disappearing. Mm, mm, mm. You can yeah. re- you can read it Absolutely. that way as well. Yeah. You know, um, once again, uh, you know, sh- she says you got to that good Dale is trapped and can't leave, and you should write it in your diary, yeah. which once again informs that this the Black Lodge is beyond our comprehension yeah. where it exists in time compared yeah. to our linear world. Uh, and th- that will also tie into my new theory. Uh, all the scenes with Jacques Renault are so awful, but there is a str- uh, we've already talked about the, uh, the subtitles. Mm. That, that scene just uh, really, as you surmised, uh, oh, summarised, sorry, uh, it really makes you feel like you're there and, oh, yeah. and it makes you angry that you're there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, one of the, it's like one of those places where you've had a great night out and you just, hey, what's that pub over there? Oh, I yeah. don't want to go home yet. Let's go in there and like within three steps, for some reason you want to leave, but because you've taken three steps in, it would you have to stay for one drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, if you, it, would, it would actually be worse to leave immediately for yeah. some reason. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you might anger someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, the moment when Laura looks over and sees Donna naked on her back uh, making out with that awful guy mm. reminded me of the painting The Nightmare by Swiss artist Henry Fuseli uh, do you know that painting? oh yeah yeah uh, for with anyone, the succubus sitting on the woman's chest yeah for yeah. anyone who hasn't uh, doesn't know what we're talking about it's a woman in deep sleep with her arms thrown below her and with a demonic uh, uh, incubus or succubus crouched on her je- chest and a pale horse with blank eyes watching on uh, little known fact when I was mm. reading about this they uh, Mary Shelley's parents were friends with that guy and that oh, may have been an influence on Frankenstein anyway yeah, right. that's just a little side note um, and then 
But then uh, the moment where Mike begins shouting at Leland is another one of those moments that could happen in the real world. But because of the story that's being told, it's imbued with this otherworldly horror, especially as Laura watches. That was another scene where I really, yeah, I, I really freaked out watching that because I, I don't know if it was the mixing on the soundtrack, but everything just got like really absurdly loud in my little apartment during yeah. that sequence. Yeah. And by the end, I was holding my head like Laura was just like, ah, oh, like stop. Yeah. This is too, it's too intense. Yeah. It, it's, it's so funny. It's a guy shouting at another guy in a car and it's just fucking yeah, horrific. It's awful. And again, the, oh my God, all it. the noises. Oh, oh my Lord. <laughs> um, the further the movie goes as well, the further it unravels and storytelling conventions disappear with it. Do you uh, feel that uh, when Laura sees the angel disappear from her painting, that she kind of knows she doesn't have long? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm falling and falling. You keep yeah. falling, fa- falling and falling faster and faster through space and not yeah. even the angels can save you. Yeah. Uh, before we arrive at the finale, Laura's mum has a vision of a pale horse. Yeah. Uh, to This is one of my fucking spirals into a a hole of uh, reading about it. But to interpret this, we have to return to episode seven of season two of Twin Peaks, where Sarah sees the horse and immediately has a moment of relief Mm. and pleasure. Uh, How did you interpret the horse before I give you two looks at it? Uh, I I interpreted it in that, in the, you know, the pale horse, the pale rider kind of thing, you know, uh, as, as an ominous, uh, an ominous sign. Yeah. I knew that it had appeared previously in the show, but I had forgotten and I was kind of glad I'd forgotten because again, in this mode of watching it free of the series. Yeah. I'd forgotten too. Yeah. 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 I had to, as I said, do a bit of reading and then it popped up and I was like, oh yeah, this. So you can kind of look at it in two ways. It's either the pale horse that death rides or the traditional white horse that provides protection. Mm. Uh, If we think of death, say, in the tarot, it's often interpreted as change as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is the beginning of her pain being taken away and then therefore she turns into that person we see in Twin Peaks, The Return. Yeah. Uh, Because everything's beyond our comprehension with these spirits. Mm. It feels like it's neither good nor bad. It just is. Mm, Um, The final scene with Jacques and Leo followed by Leland making his way in is honestly one of the most horrific and sickening scenes I've experienced in a film. Once again, when I was young, too much. Uh, This time, though, I noticed there is a moment of triumph when Laura wears the ring, which stops Bob from being able to go inside of her. Mm. Uh, How did you interpret this ending? The, the 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 ending in the train carriage, yeah. Uh, I I maybe interpreted it as darker. There's because uh, there's the moment where the angel appears for Renette Polanski, yeah, and she's not granted a mercy. There's no mercy in this, no. But it allows her to escape the final fate of being yep. killed. The fact that the angel doesn't present itself. Or give Laura that mercy. It's, I there's a cruelty in that that I found really disturbing. Right, like really, I, like I say, this this viewing really it really fucked me up last night. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really full on movie. I mean, of course, we get the coda at the end, which you know, there's a sense of grace, um, I suppose. But um, yeah, I look I, to be honest. By, by the time Leland's running them through the woods, and there's that fucked up 
torchlight and yeah. he looks like an insane like he's riding a chariot or something yeah. just off his head yeah uh and they're screaming and i like i was just i was completely harrowed by them yeah. like, ah. <laughs> like yeah just enough i mean and you know everything that's come before it as well yeah you know the the dehumanization that they go through in the cabin with jacques renault and yeah leo and it's awful everything's so awful yeah and, and you know of course and her and her continued mental breakdown i mean we haven't talked about the scene with um Bobby killing that guy. Oh yeah, and but her, Laura's reaction to that yeah. is so fucked up. Yeah, you know, you killed Mike. Yeah, you killed Mike. Yeah, <laughs> and she's just is uh, she's like she's uh, gone. She's gone. Yeah, she's gone. Yeah, uh, and and you know that's kind of you know the angel's gone. She's gone. Yeah. She is. You know, it's also I haven't really talked about the other characters, uh, but you know, even with James, there's the moment where. You know, we kept coming to the stoplight in mm. in the original Twin Peaks, and now we kind of like this is kind of the reverse of finding out how Han Solo got his name. Now we look at the stoplight, we go, "Oh, that was kind of potentially the turning point of where she could have been saved." Totally, and uh, you know, he doesn't really know what to do in that moment. It goes he's green, a kid. and he yeah, he's a kid. He's a kid. He's such a that poor character. Yeah. He's such a nice <laughs> character, James, isn't he? <laughs> uh, also, uh, once again, Bobby is a. Um, uh, I, I hated Bobby as as a youngster, but now I kind of yep. have weird affection for Bobby. Yeah. You know, the way well, she manipulates he... him as well so easily at the start. Oh, that's a great scene, yeah, right? Yeah, where he's so Bobby. angry. Where have you been? And then he's just like, woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Laura and everyone's me. dancing. Every, everyone yeah. in the school's dancing. Like yeah. It's some kind of uh, West Side story. Yeah, it's uh, 500 days of winter. <laughs> um, so I, I think there is, uh, because the ring transports people to the Black Lodge, I think there is a slight triumph of right. her being able to escape demonic possession okay and and get somewhere that he can't inflict that yeah, upon yeah, her yeah. so bob returns to the black lodge where he feeds mark and the arm there garmon balls yeah oh. and laura's body is left to drift away and be found the next morning by will hayward we then see laura's spirit in the red room and she notices agent cooper at her side with his hand on her shoulder comforting her an angel appears she begins to cry and laugh with the movie ending so mm. uh so you just kind of find that to be just like the tiniest moment of grace well you know it's almost like it's almost like, you know, some kind of grace and peace just found in the end of, you know, the horror of life or something. Like, yeah. I mean, I, 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 like, I, know, I know that there's an interpretation of this film of like, oh, it's a glorious, celebratory, beautiful ending. Yeah. I, I have a harder time with that interpretation just because of all the horror that's preceded. It's like, yeah. you know, if, 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 the, if the peace that comes can only come through getting your head stoved in and stabbed to death by your father that's been molesting you your whole life. It's like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how fucking graceful and beautiful yeah. that is. It's, yeah. it's pretty fucking awful. Yeah. Um, I'm glad at the end that she's laughing and there's an angel there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's, a, if it's an ending that I can hold, hang, hang my hat of hope onto. Yeah. Well, I've, like, I've completely... I've, that's how I used to feel about yeah. it, and I've completely turned Tell on this me. watch. So you have to keep bringing Twin Peaks: The Return yeah. uh, and the theory that you watch the final two episodes at the same time, and yeah. that things don't actually take place the way we watch them. They sure. actually take place in a different scope. Yeah. And so, if you take that into account, I now believe this ending takes place beyond the end of the third season. Right. And I think this is not only the moment that Laura is 
freed from the cycle of violence. Uh, and I kind of now interpret the, you know, this is just my interpretation. I now interpret the European movie as one cycle. And then there's the series. Right. So, you know, the and we've seen uh, Dale has to kind of, uh, he, he says in that final uh, two episodes, he says to everyone, hey, I really, you've all been really good friends and I hope to see you again. Yeah. But he's not going to yeah. because he changes everything. He goes back and... Uh, uh, he, she will return to a world where Twin Peaks is a place... He, he changes history. Yeah. And he takes the Black Lodge out. Right. So, Twin Peaks, she will grow up as Laura Palmer in a place that is full of characters that are good and bad, and good things happen and bad things happen, but they're safe from the inhabitants of the Black Lodge. I mm. think Dale Cooper learns the lessons of life and dreams the dream where living plays out the way it is supposed to mm. and not manipulated by these spirits that are beyond good or evil. Yeah, right. On a meta level, I am heavily influenced by the ending of The Elephant Man and Wild at Heart. Mm. He actually likes a lot of happy endings. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, he yeah. likes to bring relief. Yes. And then if we take into account Gordon is told in Twin Peaks The Return where Monica Bellucci tells him <laughs> and it's actually Monica Bellucci. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> we are the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream, but who is the dreamer? Yeah. Gordon then turns around and sees himself as a young man in Firewalk with me. Yeah. Well, the dreamer in our world is Lynch, and ah. he is reminded of his younger self, and though he doesn't want to give us an ending that is explained, my interpretation is that he is an older man, and he does give us a happy ending. Right. He is reminded of his mortality, and therefore he dreams of an end where Dale finally learns the right lessons and helps Laura live the life she deserves. Oh, that's beautiful. That's my interpretation. That's very beautiful. But it's you and it's know. great that it's uh, it's completely plausible, viable interpretation. <laughs> yeah, and it could be you know yeah. completely wrong, or it could be well, it's right, but it's it's not wrong. It's right. It's right yeah. for you. It's right for me. Yeah. But that's that's how I took all of those visions of a of an older uh, Gordon seeing a younger Gordon. Mm-hmm. He is the dreamer who mm. has dreamed this up and placed himself un, not unlike a Grant Morrison, yes. King Mob, yes, Fanny fiction suit yeah, yeah, and yeah. he is finally giving us the happy ending he's just so when when dale goes and finds carrie mm. and they're in the real world which helps break like that is she remembers everything yeah and i feel like this scene is now after that where they are both in the black lodge and he's letting her know what you know has now never happened and now you're going to Go back and live your life, ah, and that's I'm beautiful. never. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah. is and this is like the last time I'm going to know you. Like yeah, this is Dale right. Cooper saying I'm never even going to remember that I did this. Yeah, that's great. You know, like it's beyond <laughs> ego. Yeah, beautiful. And so yeah. Now you're making me want to watch the whole fucking thing again. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited when I came up with this, and uh, I thought, um, and it was really hard not to ring you and say. <laughs> Hey, I've got this idea, and I thought, no, hold no, on, no, no, just no, write no, it down. No. But it feels, yeah. And but it, like I'm, I say this completely that uh, I'm viewing this through the prism of a pretty fucked up year, yeah. And uh, I do, you know, I, you know, we're going to talk about Lost Highway next, and that's a pretty Oof. fascinating film. Yeah. But um, I, I feel like it's. It, it, it doesn't feel like I'm imposing anything that isn't there. It's just me taking what is there yeah. and assembling it into a way yeah, that... Yeah. Uh, and as we talked about, like, what other director could you do this with? Right. You know? 
That's, right. that's the beauty of his work. Yeah. That's the beauty of the dream slash nightmare logic. That yeah. You can, it is open to several interpretations. Yeah. And whatever, you know, and you could watch it again in five years and have something completely different that you've never even conceived of before. Yeah. And we'll get in, in the squid bits that we'll just go through quickly. The, uh, you know, if you kind of look at it as thing, you know, things keep repeating, you mm. know, and Philip Jeffries is potentially with Judy and things go awry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chet is with Teresa Banks, things go awry. And yeah. Dale goes with Laura. How many times has he experienced this? And he, yeah. in that time, he's the one. So it doesn't doesn't discount Dale at all. Finally, he learns exactly what he needs to learn yeah. to do the right thing by yeah. everyone and specifically Laura. Even That's if great. Even if he'll never know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So some squid bits. Uh, Carl McLaughlin was reluctant to return as Dale Cooper because mm-hmm. he was afraid of being typecast. Mm-hmm. He also didn't like the direction of the show in season two. And since the movie was announced one month after the final episode aired, he wasn't interested. And that's why his presence in the film is smaller than originally planned. Mm. Chester Desmond was created to cover the lack of Dale Cooper. His creation also does contradict the Twin Be- Peaks tie-in book, The Autobiography of FBI Agents, Agents uh, Dale Cooper, My Life, My Tapes. But once again, it is one of those things where because I feel like this has been a cycle of violence and this has been happening yeah, over and yeah, over yeah. again, I feel like that's maybe those tapes are the movie. Yeah. You know, once again, that's how you can kind of totally. move it all together. Yeah, or parallel reality or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl and Fenn didn't return because of scheduling conflicts and Lara Flynn Boyle just declined, just didn't want to do it. That's strange, right? It's strange. I heard it was because of the nudity. But oh, was it? Possibly. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Mark Frost also had a falling out with Lynch over whether it should be a prequel or a straightforward sequel to season two, hence why he didn't work on the film. Right. The movie was booed at the 1992 <laughs> Cannes Film Festival and received negative reviews in the States. This helped lead the film to a poor box office, yeah. along with what it came uh, w- along with that it came out a year after the series had finished. Yeah. And we have to remember that it finished due to declining viewing numbers. Yeah. It was just incomprehensible to fans, uh, people who weren't fans of Twin Peaks, <laughs> and even then, it only appeals to a certain percentage of those who are fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of the uh, criticisms, Vincent Canby for the New York Times, this is possibly one of the funniest <laughs> negative reviews. It's not the worst movie ever made, it just seems to be. <laughs> That's wow. Funny, like, you know what? If you're going to be cruel, be funny. <laughs> Has, has there been another film that has been so critically reappraised uh, so far after its release? Good question. Yeah, mm. let's have a let's have a think yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quentin Tarantino said that Lynch had disappeared so far up his own ass that I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. Irony. Oh, um, Quentin. Uh, in good news, commercial hit in Japan. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Japan. <laughs> Good on you, Japan. Wow. So it wasn't until 2012 when Mark Kermode described the movie as maligned but frankly marvellous in one of his video series that the tide began to change a little bit. Love Kermode. Um, I think he may have been the first person to suggest that, you know, fleshing her out as a character is and, you know, 
some history on the Blue Rose Task Force in Twin Peaks lore. We go back to Olympia, Washington in 1975 when a woman called Lois Duffy mm-hmm. murdered her own tulpa. Who said, and the tulpa said, I'm like the Blue Rose before dying and disappearing. The case was investigated by FBI agents Gordon Cole and Philip Jeffries. Yes. And the final words were used in naming the task force. Uh, Duffy is then indicted for murder and commits suicide. So that's where the Blue mm-hmm. Rose comes from. Mm-hmm. A Blue Rose symbolizes mystery or attaining the impossible and because of genetic limitations they do not exist in nature that's right uh, the woman in the diner at haps says in french nighttime is the right time which is the title of a 1957 song recorded by big bill brunzi and later covered by people like ray charles and james brown yet i saw a little bit of conjecture online that maybe she is saying henry he's not funny and you know what they're probably both right <laughs> that old man yeah. are you talking about that murdered little yeah, yeah, girl yeah. <laughs> i mean both, both lines sound like they could be like you could imagine that woman saying night time is the right time oh yeah that sounds right yeah. henry he's not funny yeah that sounds about right as well <laughs> Uh, in the original scripts, co-writer Robert Engels said in an interview for Wrapped in Plastic that Judy was neither going to be was either going to be Josie Packard's sister and/or possibly another murdered woman who leads an FBI agent to investigate and then subsequently disappear. As I just mentioned, like Theresa Mason, Chet, Laura Palmer, yeah. and Dale. When the script was revised, they altered aspects of Judy's identity. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's more. There's more. Ab- there's more meat to that scene in the deleted. Yes. Missing pieces. Yeah. You actually see Philip Jeffries at the hotel in yeah. uh, Columbia or yeah. whatever he is. Yeah. yeah. Some, uh, if you're a Bowie fan, some... It's great. It's great. Um, one, of, one of the many tragedies of David Bowie dying is... Um, would he have been in Twin Peaks? I think return? he would have, yeah. Like, I think he would have. Like, he didn't like to do too much stuff, but I reckon... He would have been Lynch there for Lynch. Have, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like that Bowie became a steam... A, a kettle, tea kettle. A tea kettle. <laughs> uh... Garmin Bosia isn't a real word. It appears to be a negative energy created by pain and suffering and the bad spirits in the Black Lodge manipulate normal people into these experiences so they can feed on it. As a substance, creamed corn. And they eat it very sensually. Oh, God. A lot of lip smacking. Very slow and sensual. Yeah, you As know, each kernel actually, goes down. you know what? It's disgusting. Tarantino, you might say this movie was fucking up its own ass, but who eats exactly like that in Death Proof? Ah, very good. Bingo. Yeah. I'll see you outside behind the school sheds later, Tarantino. <laughs> uh, it may be an evil version of ambrosia, which in Greek mythology is the food or drink of the gods. Right. So maybe yeah, that's sure, sure, what sure. it is. Lynch stated in his memoir, Catching the Big Fish, mm-hmm. that the red room flashed fully formed to his, into his head when he touched a hot car outside a film lab one summer night. Of course it did. Uh, Once again, I could have gone on forever with Squid Bits, but I'm going to finish with this one, which will just lighten the mood. The Fire Walk With Me soundtrack has Lynch and Badalamenti's first attempt at rap music. The vocal is so weird that Lynch said it caused him to laugh himself into a hernia. (laughs) This 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 is the quote. Angelo said... Let me give this a try. So I went over all the lyrics with him and he went into the recording booth and Angelo came to life in this booth. I was with the engineer and I was laughing so hard that something exploded. It was like a light bulb blew up in my stomach and that was the end of my stomach wall. (laughs) I would love to see uh, David Lynch in hysterical peals of laughter. (laughs) So would I. (laughs) Oh, man. What what an image, right? Yeah. Well, a, a dark... Yeah. Journey. I think the darkest film he's made. Yeah. 
But I hope that my interpretation has brought absolutely uh, a genuine sense of relief. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad we were able to navigate this conversation. Uh, yeah, I was. I was like a little bit kind of hesitant to even talk about this, mate. This is why it's full it, on. This is why this goddamn script took me nearly 14 hours to get right because. Once again, I know we've given warnings and everything, but I still don't want... Like, I, I want people to f- listen and have, you know, even if they haven't watched it, they've had something interesting to listen to. Yeah, I don't want to be freaking them out at yeah, the same but, time. You know, this but, is also um, the fucking, you know, we're living on a dark planet, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have watched Twin Peaks and you thought that it ended in a dark way or... Uh, if you haven't watched Twin Peaks uh, and you've heard that it's dark, well, hopefully my interpretation has brought just a little bit of light <laughs> to your world. Next up, Lost Highway. Big thank you to Ben Elwood for joining me, not only today, but on this journey through the work of David Lynch. You know, we're starting to get close to the end of the David Lynch Movies, so maybe we'll put up a poll on uh, on who we might tackle next. We've got some thoughts, but uh, yeah, I might put that over at the Patreon page and uh, just get some initial ideas. Look, to be honest, I'm not saying we're definitely going to take it on board, <laughs> but I am curious. You might make a suggestion that makes us think, yes, let's do that person. So, uh, mainstream. Uh, not mainstream, whatever. I don't mind what it is, uh, but uh, I'd love to know uh, who your favourite directors are or who's a director that maybe you're curious about and you'd like to know more about. And, uh, you know, sometimes, as with the Sophia Coppola series, uh, that was a real uh, series that um, was an eye-opener for me as well. She's gone from making some films that I like to being one of my favourite directors. So... Uh, I am totally up for someone that I'm not that au fait with as well. Uh, the next uh, David Lynch film is Lost Highway. Yes, one of my all-time favourite films. So look out for that in the near future. A big thank you to Philip Boothby for your patronage, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, if you've watched this movie, let me know. If you agree with Ben, or you agree with me, or if you started agreeing with Ben and I won you over, or if you agreed with me and Ben took you down into his grubby view of life. Uh, A reminder for all of my Patreon subscribers, there's a new Dispatches from the Fury Road podcast that was uploaded earlier this week. I mentioned it at the start of this podcast. This one covered the latest season of Atlanta. You've probably heard me bang on about how much I love Atlanta. I love this latest season. Some people did not, and so this podcast was asking what responsibility the artist has towards the consumer. If you think you'd like to have access to that podcast and more, head over to patreon.com forward slash Hamilton underscore Big Squid. Uh, by the way, if money is tight but you'd still like to support our work here, you can just help out by leaving a top review on Apple Podcasts or even suggest Big Squid to any of your friends you think that might enjoy what my mates and I are doing. So, uh, you know, it all helps out. And just by listening, you are supporting. So thank you very much as well. Uh, Once again, a quick reminder for Adelaide listeners, I'll be there on June the 3rd at the Rhino Room. And if you're keen to come along, use the Big Squid promo code HAMO 
H-A-M-M-O, to buy a discounted ticket and uh, hang around in the front bar. We can have a chat afterwards. Next week, we have a two-part Space Podacy episode with Rove McManus. He's back. He's back from WA, baby, joining Ben and me to discuss Galaxy Quest, a movie I hadn't seen before, and I'm very glad I have now experienced it. What a what a treat of a film. I always, I had, a, you know, just some good people tell me that it was great, and I'd never gotten around to it. So, uh, Rove suggested this movie, and I'm so glad that he did, because I loved it. Uh, you have the weekend to watch the film, if you want, before the podcast drops next week. Let's finish today's episode with a quote from Laura Palmer herself, the actor Cheryl Lee. The more we deny that we have a dark side, the more power it has over us. Good quote and kind of ties into some of the stuff that Ben often discusses on this podcast as well. So I thought, here we go. What a perfect way to finish today's episode. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you listening. Until then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.